0: welcome to the mi hunting podcast this episode we'll be going over the final preparations needing to get done for the 2023 season all right welcome to the mi podcast thank you for tuning in as always So yeah, I mean we are looking at the second week of August right now, and we only have about a month and a half until the opening of the regular archery season. Now we do have here in Michigan, you know, the uh, you know youth hunt and liberty hunt, uh, as well as an early doe antlers or antler season uh, here. That's coming up in September as well, but the bulk of the hunting really isn't going to start until October 1st, uh, as that's when bow season opens up for uh, the general public. And with that being said, I mean, we don't have much time, especially if you're one that likes to have your air, hunting areas kind of soak for a little bit without any significant pressure. We really only have you know about three weeks to really get done what we need to get done before we uh, you know back out of the properties and give them time without any human pressure or in interference or disturbance so really i mean especially looking at this time frame i'm looking at you know the things that i need to get done primarily in my hunting aspect which you know i'm sure if you're like me and have procrastinated some areas you're starting to uh, sweat it a little bit and you know starting to feel the pressure of things that you need to get done uh, to be ready for the deer season you know i always go into with you know high hopes of being able to get everything done and be ahead of the game But in most cases, I always find myself in at least some areas, you know, struggling to keep up and get everything done beforehand. So some of the things that I'm going to... Be really focusing on this time of the year is getting my food plot work done, uh, making sure my bow setups ready to go and tuned up, uh, tuned up ready to go. Making sure I have all the necessary equipment that I was hoping for for the year. So that's for both archery season as well as for the firearm season. The big one with that again is ammunition. Doing some last minute scouting and then making sure my tree stand work is done for the season. So we'll get more into depth in each of those areas, and I'll explain kind of what I'm doing and what I've been planning on uh, accomplishing before the season starts to make sure I am ready in those aspects. But before we get into those topics uh, let's go ahead and jump over to the conservation news as it's been a while since I've uh, done one of these and there's a couple of news stories that I wanted to highlight and cover with you. So let's jump into it. so this first story comes to us from outdoor life this was updated on august 2nd by dak collins another walleye stuffing cheater caught in a fishing tournament in new york and below the headline there it pretty much sums up the the idea once you even read the headline it's it's stupid what he did especially after last year i still can't believe it so let's get into it here so the first paragraph here is a less dramatic version of the weightgate gate scandal that rocked the professional fishing world in October of 2022 took place over the weekend in Dunkirk, New York on July 30th. A, com- a competitor in Bart's Cove walleye duel was caught stuffing walleyes to increase their weight. So it's amazing that they would someone would try this again after what had happened last year um, with the, the weights in the fish uh, story you know, that was pretty big and it kind of, I mean, it kind of made its way through the country as being part of the news. Um, You know, this was a quite, you know, blatant cheating scandal that, you know, kind of rocked the, you know, even rocked the main headlines uh, with what was going on. So this one, you know, it's not quite as uh you know drastic or compelling of a story as that first one uh certainly didn't have the amount of drama in it uh but again this is this kind of one of those things you 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 wonder what possessed this person to uh take these steps especially with the the scrutiny that a lot of these tournaments are now having because of of the incident last year <laughs> so basically from this from this tournament you know their person or their procedure or policy was to cut open these fish um at weigh-in because of you know the the concern of cheating and whatnot so basically this competitor uh mr pete smith um stuffed his walleye with two small oh, i'm sorry let me go back yeah so pete smith had stuffed two of his walleyes with smaller fish to increase their weight and in one of them a 12 inch walleye with his tail cut off was inside one of the fish. And the other had a white perch stuffed in it. So basically what what was going on is that basically trying to shove these fish down these, their larger fish's throats. And one actually was too large for that to fit in the other fish. So they actually cut three inches off of his tail to make it fit. You know, I suppose they were trying to make it look more natural that maybe those walleye had eaten the fish and you know we're digesting them the problem was of a couple of different things so the the judge of the event you know, noted a couple different things one is that the fish were far too bright they weren't uh, faded in any way they weren't you know basically they like hadn't gone through any of the digestive process uh, so they basically looked like fresh fish the other one again clearly was cut uh, basically the last three inches of its tail and if you look at the photo of the fish, you can clearly see that it definitely looks like a knife cut, and you know the amount of the the tail that was cut off. You know it would have been very difficult for you know even a walleye to you know cut through the the you know spinal cord of that fish and create that clean of a cut. The other thing that that was noted with the fish is that these fish clearly had you know hook marks or hook you know holes in their lips, uh, so they had been caught you know with a hook and line and then proceeded to get shoved down these other fish's throats so the fact that they were trying to get away with this even though in the rules it clearly stated that during this tournament that the fish were going to be cut open and inspected um i'm not quite sure why they thought they were going to get away with this so and even with this you know the the tournament director you know knew mr smith and his family and you know was really hesitant to uh, disqualify him on the spot Um, Because of, you know, the escalation of, you know, people's reactions from the event uh, from last year. Um, So what you end up doing doing was contacting officials from the New York Department of Environmental Conservation. and, And they were the ones that confiscated the fish. And basically that investigation at this point is still ongoing. I'm not quite sure of what, you know, criminal charges would come of this. So if they might face any penalty for this other than the fact of being shamed for cheating. So probably the more, you know, interesting bit about this is that uh, Mr. Pete Smith really didn't even need to cheat to necessarily win the tournament. Uh, Apparently, he had already um, secured a high enough bag to basically still have won won um, won the tournament. So the director goes on, but the thing about is that Pete didn't have to stuff them. He only gained maybe 10 to 12 ounces, less than a pound but he had a 22-something pound bag, and the next closest was 19. So this guy got caught for cheating during a walleye tournament that he would have won anyway. So, and if I'm not mistaken, you know, the guys from the tournament, you know, back from last year, they ran into a similar situation where there's a good likelihood that they would have won the tournament outright, even though, or even without cheating. You know, I think it came down to what that really what caught the the judge's eye in that tournament was the fact that they had such a high limit compared to everyone else everyone else kind of had a hard time fishing that day and was you know had smaller bag limits and these guys were like you know two three pounds above everybody else easily i think it was even more than that so that what really caught the caught the attention so this guy again same thing he he sounds like he would have won the tournament um even without having to stuff the fish so just goes again another instance of you know it's not worth it trying to cheat in this aspect the likelihood of getting caught is very high and then you never know you may you know be putting yourself at a risk of you know getting caught uh you know needlessly essentially so again there'll be more to come on on this guy for sure um it's not quite sure on what his um you know future looks like in this regard uh, i'm sure that he's probably not going to be invited for any more uh, fishing tournaments uh, but again in regards to uh, any criminal charges you know who knows on that one all right let's get into this article here you know this one is not quite as uh, light-hearted or interesting as the first one in regards to just uh, someone doing something stupid this one here comes down to uh, some changes that are going to happen uh, unfortunately um, for the worst for in many cases so so the headline here is biden admin withholding key funding for schools with hunting and archery programs so this is from fox news published on july 28th so it goes on to say you know biden administration is loving a direct attack on hunters ability to pass down hunting and the newest to the newest generations. So essentially what's going on is that any programs that involve either hunting and archery programs, so any honor safety ed, or any shooting clubs or archery programs, uh, basically are no longer gonna receive any type of funding. You know, initially when going through this, it looked like that any schools that were holding or having these programs as part of their curriculum, that they were not gonna receive any funding at all. It doesn't seem to be the case. It's only that they will not be able to use any of those federal funds um, for these programs, which again, in many instances, uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of these programs were getting much funding anyways, but in certain school districts and school certain programs, uh, they were receiving significant amount of funding so it just kind of depends on, um, I guess, really, the school and how they're allocating those funds as to how much of an impact it has on in regards to this funding in these programs. So this is part of a, a reaction from the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. You know, it looks like that the, the Department of Education has you know interpreted it as that these programs are not, um, you know, basically, or these programs are in violation. Or do not support from this law. So they are banning any funding to go to any of these programs. So really the the two things to really focus on with this, you know, this news and this article is that it's coming from the Department of Education has made this determination and is as a result of this of the bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Now a senator from a Democratic senator from Colorado has uh, sent a basically Sent a letter uh, to the Department of Education, uh, basically requesting that they reconsider their decision. So I looked into it a little bit more and kind of got a synopsis of what the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act is. Now this is actually an 80-page, um, you know, bill. So I didn't read through the whole thing. So I went through Wikipedia um, to just kind of get a synopsis of kind of what the bill was intended for what the goals are so we'll cover those here real quick so um you know basically some of the key bullet points are expanding background checks for individuals under the age of 21 purchasing firearms provide 11 billion in mental health services including increased funding for medicaid certified community behavioral health clinic programs increased funding for school-based mental health programs and investment in pediatric mental health care services, Uh, preventing individuals who've been convicted of domestic violence, misdemeanor, or felony in dating relationships from purchasing firearms for five years, providing uh, $750 million for state grants to implement crisis intervention order programs, also referred to as red flag laws, that would allow authorities to confiscate firearms for individuals who have been determined by the court to be sufficient or sufficient to be a sufficient danger to themselves or others the grant would also be used to support mental health courts drug courts veterans courts and extreme risk protection orders providing two million in community-based violence prevention initiatives so a lot of this is just simply provide funding and resources to basically crack down on uh, basically those who would misuse firearms so uh basically the senator that wrote the letter kind of summed it up really well as well as well that you know these programs are basically imp you know good tools to ensure safety of use of firearms and you know arch equipment and whatnot you know this is these are programs to make people safer with firearms and you know basically educate them on the dangers uh associated with so the fact that they're uh Cutting these programs or, you know, making an effort to cut these programs, you know, does not in line with the, the bill that they say that it's supposed to follow. So, um, you know, it definitely has a, a little bit of a flavor of that they're trying to, you know, cut these programs because they just simply don't like the programs outright. You know, there's certainly... Been a strong push from the anti hunting groups to get these programs out of the school systems um, and get basically to shut down as much as they can in that regard. So, definitely has kind of that feel, but again, it's going to be hard pressed to really get that answer or to really determine if that's what's going on here or if they just simply misinterpreted the law. Um, But yeah, you kind of be the judge on that. So yeah just wanted to highlight that and you know something to keep an eye out for you know certainly too if you are looking to uh, voice your uh, opinion on this or to um you know basically to to you know have a voice in that regard there are several outlets um the safari club as well as the sportsman alliance uh, they have links to where you can follow those um to send to your congressperson uh to you know basically give your opinion on the on the subject matter and to push back on this if um, if you so choose to do so all right so that's it for the news um portion of it again there's going to be more information uh linked down into the description so if you do want to follow any of those links i will put them down in the description below to where you can follow those Uh, and you know submit your those forms all right so let's get into the topic at hand here so yeah really i mean we are down to the wire when it comes to the preparation for deer season um you know one of the big things that i've been really stressing about especially uh, during that first week of august was trying to get my food plots in you know we've we've had a pretty you know significant spotty uh Regards to you know when the the rain was gonna come, as well as I had a our family vacation plan um, for this past week as well. So I was looking at the rain forecast and trying to decide on if I'm gonna try to plant before we leave um, for our vacation or try to catch it afterwards. You know I really didn't like the idea of you know doing it after because you know that put you know those plants you know a couple weeks further back or um, delayed. Um, I'm starting to germinate and start growing and starting to put on some biomass uh, than what I typically like to do. The rain forecast wasn't the best though, but then we did have a day that looked promising, so I had I ultimately ended up deciding that I was going to plant on that day. Unfortunately, the rain that was intended the following night really never came, so we'll see what happens in that regard. Uh, hopefully, I still get a pretty good germination. I, you know, I kind of get. A little worried because that's essentially what happened when i tried planning my my summer or my springtime you know cover crop slash food plot you know ultimately i planted and we had a pretty decent chance of rain for the following day and it just never came and of course everyone knows we had quite the dry summer where a lot of the summer food plots really didn't take off like they should have so when it came to my even my springtime planning you know i i was kind of up in the air exactly how i wanted to handle this so Essentially, what had happened during the course of the summer, or from that summer planting, you know, I tried for the very first time using a roller crimper. Now, I had some mixed success with that in regards to some of the plant species; it did really well. I've uh, been able to crimp so a lot of like the really stemmy stuff, so the rye, uh, crimson clover, um, even some of the old brassicas that were starting to stem out um, and trying to flower. Those were crimped down really well. Uh, the two areas that I really didn't have any good success was with the, the two areas that are the two different species that really didn't do all that well, whereas the white clover that really didn't get uh, terminated. You know, it did get set back a little bit. It did look like it was starting to die, but those plants bounced right back up again and ended up coming up again and kind of taking over that area where they were really dominant beforehand as well. The other one again was the uh, hairy vetch that was in the in the mix um, from the fall. Uh, Carbon load, you know, this is kind of like a like a bit of a stemmy kind of viney type plant. Uh, that one it didn't get you know basically destroyed at all or didn't start to die at all. You know, it got laid down with all the rest of the plants, but shortly after it stood right back up, stayed green, flowered out, and it wasn't until probably the summer when it probably seeded out unfortunately that it finally did you know die off Um, because when i went back this a couple weeks ago you know that plant was really pretty much dried up and dead so basically what i had on my hands was one a lack of uh the the summertime you know crop coming in you know just i didn't get a good germination it didn't grow in because of the dry weather and so i had a lot of thatch from the rye and the crimson clover that uh, got killed off beforehand as well as a bunch of other vegetation and even some weed growth that kind of made its way through um, without any sufficient ground cover so i basically kind of talked about i had two different options one was to uh, come through with a tiller and do a mechanical tillage and terminate the plants that way by just tilling them up breaking them up uprooting them or the other option was to use glyphosate and spray them out and do a chemical burn on them. You know both of them had their pros and cons. You know the mechanical use is, yeah, I didn't have to use any harsh chemicals. The problem is is I break up that soil, expose a lot of, basically uproot a lot of that organic matter, um the carbon, as well as destroy a lot of the microbes. Um, that were in that soil basically that mechanical process um, destroys some of the larger microbes and then also it basically over aerates the soil essentially and uh, can make it towards a very harsh uh, environment for those microbes to survive um, with that mechanical process and then when it came to the chemical again you're using chemicals using glyphosate or roundup and you know There's some precautions with that as well as, you know, things I've learned in regards to the fact that it can, um, you know, inhibit your plant's ability to um, uptake nutrients or kind of suppresses some of your nutrients in the soil. Um, So if if you have some mineral deficiencies, um, it may be as a result of some of that glyphosate uh, now allowing those uh, minerals to be, you know, basically uptaken by the plants the plus side of the of using glyphosate is i'm not disturbing the soil at all everything stays intact so i'm not uprooting anything i'm not disturbing the soil keeping that soil covered in that regard the other downfall with the glyphosate is i did have that additional thatch you know that thatch is not going to get broken down anymore than um than what the new plants can do in regards to you know coming up and then the microbes eating up that you know thatch and whatnot breaking that down I guess that was the other plus side with doing the potential of tillage is that I have a nice clean soil bed to work with with uh, no buildup build up a thatch that's going to prevent any um, you know seeds of soil contact or not gonna you know be too thick of a mulch to where the seeds can't you know push their way through before they run out of energy so ultimately uh, for this time through I went with the uh, spray method so Per my usual process, I spread the seed out into the standing vegetation. Once that's done, went through, sprayed it, and then cultivated it behind me um, after spraying to lay everything down to try to push it down and push those seeds in the ground with that thatch laying on top of them. So, and ultimately from here on out, I'm not going to go back to the property or not look at the food plot uh, area, you know, at least for another two weeks or so. You know i've made the mistake before where i go down there too early and those plants are really starting to really starting to just come in and re- feeling really disappointed the fact that you know it's not looking as good as i thought so a lot of times with that i just give it time and then you know an absolute worst case scenario that if for whatever reason these seeds didn't germinate or i didn't get a good stand or i didn't seed uh evenly if i have you know bare spots and whatnot then I'll go through usually around that first week of September, um, or actually about first of September to about mid-September, and supplement with some just you know rye grain and fill in those bare spots um, or make up for any you know areas that didn't come in as well as they should have. So the next big area that really needs to get done before uh, season gets underway is making sure especially your bow equipment is ready to go. So for me, um, I basically, or I essentially have bought a brand new bow. I've got, I purchased the the brand new uh, Prime RevX 2 and, you know, basically I'm finishing up the process of getting that bow uh, broken in and tuned in. So, you know, I put about, you know, pretty close to about 200 arrows through it uh, since I've gotten it. I'm going to take it back to the bow shop, make sure everything's still in line because that string is going to stretch out, everything's going to kind of settle into place. Make sure everything's tuned up again. Make sure everything's still plumb, and then from there, I'm gonna finish my, uh, you know, sighting in process. Now, fortunately, this bow has pretty close to the same specs that my old bow had. Technically, it's about you know three feet per second slower, um, but in regards to um, the accuracy so far, it seems pretty pretty on par with what my current or what my old bow um was in regards to my sight tapes and everything like that. So I've actually been able to just make some uh adjustments to the, the the housing or the mount for the housing for my new bow and I haven't had to move any of the sight tapes yet. But I'm not gonna finish or not gonna say it's sighted in yet until I get that final tune tune up done and i know that you know that bow is shooting the way it's going to pretty much for the rest of the season. From there, gonna fine tune, make sure those sight tapes are accurate and that the bow is shooting on spec. If it's not, I'm gonna have to pull those sight tapes off, reapply or basically resight in and apply new sight tape that matches with the new bow setup. So in regards to my arrow setup, you know, that's gonna stay the same. Uh, fortunately, I'm not gonna make too much of a change with that, you know, I've already played around with quite a bit of different fletching configurations i pretty much got my arrow weight down so that's not going to change too much basically i've kind of already dialed into what fletching configuration i'm going to run for the for the season Uh, a couple of different changes i am going to make that i do still need to finish up you know getting the rest of the arrows set up is i'm going to be adding a white wrap to all of my arrows it's going to be all of my arrows now the big one is the main reason is that is for the hunting scenario so i typically run on orange fletching but downfall is again during uh during the fall you know they can be kind of hard to see in some of those leaves um yeah i figured going with orange was going to be a nice bright color that would be easy to see not so much i didn't really think that one through but um, the big thing is is that when it comes to looking at the arrow and determining the type of blood that's on it you know with the color scheme of the arrow and the fletchings, um you know you really had to either you know wipe some blood on your hands off the arrow or um you know really look at what's on the ground to really get a good idea of the you know the shade or the tint of the blood really so i'm adding a white uh, wrap on there to make that easier. So when I look when, when I when I inspect that arrow, uh, I'm able to you know make a little bit better uh, educated guess on exactly what's going on with that. i have also um, going to add in a white fletching as well. So it's going to add some additional white to it to be able to help uh, you know get a better picture of that blood as well on that arrow. The other thing I'm going to be doing this year is playing around again with some of my broadheads for one um, harvest a deer with a uh, single bevel broadhead you know last year i used three different broadheads and harvested three different deer with it and basically just kind of trying to collect some data on the performance of those broadhead types or styles in regards to my archery setup and you know just hunting in general so for those ones you know i have had some good success There have been a couple areas of concern primarily with the smaller cutting diameter of a couple of the broadheads you know they basically if you essentially if you're like me and end up hitting high you don't get a good blood trail uh, essentially you get that from the smaller diameter hole as well as with the chest cavity filling up before it really spills out onto the ground so uh, a couple of things with that you know certainly did not impede with the deer dying in a timely matter but it did affect you know my confidence when it came to the tracking job so i am going to play around with that as well as i'm going to be trying out the new vpa uh, omega broadhead is their uh, one that we discussed back on episode 66 so if you haven't listened to that go ahead and you know listen to that one they talk about the broadhead more in detail Uh, Basically, what it is, is a single bevel broadhead that you don't really need any special jigs or um, contraptions to get it sharpened just right. One downfall with the single bevel broadheads is that they are a little bit more complicated to uh, sharpen or resharpen, especially. Basically, you need a special jig to be able to get the angle just right. And what they've done was incorporated a, a patented design to where you can just lay the broadhead flat down on the stone. Um, has basically kind of like a flat edge uh, on part of the ferrule. That's going to be your guide. And you just run that along your um, sanding stone or sandpaper, whatever you're using to uh, sharpen your broadhead. And it makes things very simpler. So, you know, I've got uh, one on hand here. Now, this only took me probably about 10, 15 minutes. So it basically, it comes factory sharpened. Um, so basically if you really wanted to you could hunt um, right out of the package but again if you're going to take the time to spend the extra money on these this type of rod head, you're more than likely going to be putting um, a little bit better edge on it than what they can do in the factory and you know with this one here it took me about 10-15 minutes and you know got a pretty pretty good got a pretty good polish on there and you know i tested it and it is razor sharp here so uh, again, you know, even with my capabilities, you know, being able to sharpen these broadheads in a short period of time, you know, I got even better edge on it, um, and you know, it's kind of, you know, it's at that eight, you know, on the verge of being kind of scary sharp, um, even with my limited ability with with uh, sharpening. So these are new out for this year. Uh, right now, I believe they are in a 200 grain. Uh, I'm sure they'll be working on getting, um, I think a 150 as well, um, here in the near future. So you know, very cool design. You know, again, it's going to um, still have the, the benefit of the single bevel, where it's going to you know have a very good uh, potential for penetration because of the the steep angle of the blade, as well as it has the you know the kind of that tried and true tanto tip on it. Um, so it's still the cut on contact, but with those, those angles on it, it gives that a lot more material on the tip that's going to be less likely to get damaged um, if you hit bone or even if you, you know, drive it into the dirt and hit stone. Um, and it, again, with that single bevel, it's going to have the ability to, uh, you know, basically split stone or cut through, st- or not stone, <laughs> cut, th- cut through um, bone much easier um, and then again, that additional material is just strengthening that broadhead and making it more durable as well. So I'm going to be excited to try this one out this year. Hopefully I get an opportunity or two to be able to put these uh, broadheads to the test. Um, but so far, it's looking pretty promising. Again, the Omega from VPA. So certainly if you're looking at a new broadhead, you know they wouldn't be a bad uh, choice for you. So the next part is again, I always harp on this probably this time every year is making sure that you've got the equipment that you're wanting for the year. So this regards to if you're looking at getting new tree stands, new camo, new calls. um, Again, if you're like me and bought a new bow, you know, time is really ticking now if you want to get that all set up and ready to go uh, in a timely manner and make sure that you're comfortable and ready to go for the season. So yeah, it's really just making sure that you buy this, uh, the equipment that you're looking to invest into now, um, sooner or before later, because you you don't want to run into, you know, we kind of learned during COVID that, you know, that there are disruptions in the supply chain and what you order, you know, a couple weeks from now may not even make it in time for hunting season. And you may have to supplement until that equipment comes in. So And then the other thing is too, in that regard is getting your new equipment, make sure you're testing it, make sure you're trying it out, getting familiar with it um, before you take it out to the woods. You know, even as simple as a brand new pop-up, you know, pop-up blind, you know, my wife got me one uh, for last year. You know, I try it out, you know, put it up in in my basement, just getting the hang of being able to open it up, close it back down again, you know, knowing where all the anchors are, you know, it's just making sure you're familiar with your equipment uh, before you get you know, into the hunting situation. So in the next big topic is going to be talking about getting your scouting done. Now, hopefully, uh, th- over the course of the year that you have gone out and done some scouting, you know, ideally you should have a pretty fair grasp of the areas that you plan on hunting, and have a you know at least set foot boots on ground uh, at least once by now. Now, this is one area that I have you know kind of faltered on. There are several areas that I've kind of hunted in the past where I kind of know the area. But there's a lot of spots I haven't explored before that I still need to get to. So that's one thing that I got to get done yet is kind of doing another, uh, you know, doing another deep dive into some of those areas that I've kind of piqued my interest. So again, same thing, you know, a lot of these areas are areas I've hunted before, but maybe not necessarily in those exact spots. So I'm familiar with the terrain um, for the most part but there is some you know details that i still need to explore to find out if it's still a viable area so really it comes down to uh, two different things i'm really looking at some of those new areas that i want to explore and confirm whether or not they're going to be a, a viable hunting spot or you know how much deer are using in those areas or if it's an area that i'm going to be hunting or just kind of you know consider you know something that I can kind of brush off for the time being as not a really good or you know, not very hot spot. So some of those new areas, you know, get get boots on ground, confirm whether or not they're they look promising or not. Uh, a lot of times I'll go through and kind of highlight you know three, four, five, six, seven, almost up to ten areas at a time or spots within an area at a time. Go through, walk it, walk through it at least one time. Uh, and confirm some of those spots that you know may or may not have necessarily the cover that you're looking for or you know a lot of times what ends up happening is that it's just not quite what the map showed so whether it comes down to if you go in there and and there's a lot thick cover in there a lot thicker than you thought to where you won't be able to you know get an area to be able to shoot or anything like that um or if You know maybe the it's you know wetter and more swampy than what you anticipated or one that i've ran into before is i go into a spot um looking at the map and come find out it's been recently logged so that those trees and those that cover that i was looking to you know scout out is now open ground so maybe the terrain was there but all the cover is gone now so it's good to set get boots on ground in the area that way you're not surprised, especially if you try going in there for like a morning hunt or something like that. And may not have you know set foot in that area before. It's very easy to get you know discombobulated in an area and kind of lose your way and you know kind of scoop your hunt by you know either going too far or not going far enough into a spot. The other area that I'm really um, I really focus on quite a bit is revisiting spots that I know. So this happens you know every year when I go into a new spot and i find something that i didn't from the year before or learned something that i didn't you know realize from from the year before you know, it was amazing how much more you can learn about a property going back into it with kind of a new perspective a new outlook even uh you know i've talked with a couple of different buddies about this where you know you go into a spot that you've hunted for years and you still feel like you're learning or learning some of the nuance of the of those spots and it can get really complicated too if like on my uh, on a pub, private piece where some of the food sources might change um you know if it's you're on egg fields and how, how that changes year after year after year and how those deer react to it or even just learning uh, new you know new spots where you really didn't think the deer utilized come find out that they're utilizing it in a certain way so I, i've ran into that several times where it's you know go through and come across a trail that I never encountered before and realize, oh my gosh, you know, there's a significant amount of deer that are cutting through the property in a way that I wasn't expecting. Or even more exciting is when you kind of walk through an area that maybe you haven't, you know, walked through in a few years or haven't gone through at all and realize you have a significant amount of buck sign or you find a buck bed or something like that in there. Flooring those areas um, on a property that you, either you haven't explored before or you know, revisiting those spots within a property that you feel like you're very familiar with just gets you more equipped to understand that's how the deer are utilizing the property. So I'm, I'm a big proponent to, um, you know, going back into revisiting properties, re-scouting, and learning just a little bit more about uh, those properties. Again, there's a lot of times you can miss something or catch something that you might have missed before that, that kind of you know, you might have bits and pieces of information and this new piece that you've just, you know, discover can kind of put the whole picture together for you and uh, basically make it to where, you know, you understand the property that much more and kind of see the big picture in regards to that. Really that whole rant is really just comes down to, you know, you can never learn too much about a property, you know, scouting and scouting and more scouting and learning about those properties and how those deer utilize the property or move along the landscape uh, so that way you're better prepared to be able to ambush them and hunt them all right now we are going to talk about something that's not as fun to talk about but is extremely important it's checking your equipment out you know we're we're talking really about tree stand work so whether you have permanent stands that you have set up or you have set up you know your climbers or your um, you know removal tree stands or your mobile setup double checking your equipment so if you have a permanent stand out on a private piece you know go out there double check those straps you know if they look like they're worn if they look like they need to be adjusted you know make those adjustments you know even if it's questionable on how those straps are doing double check them loosen them up reapply them and make sure that they're good and solid you know if you have a mobile tree stand double check your straps you know from those all those you know time you put the tree stand up and take it down you know that's a lot of abuse on those straps and buckles that you want to get those checked out again for me you know going with the saddle route same thing double checking those those loops double checking the ropes making sure everything's good um and solid you know basically making sure that those that equipment is ready to go before season well you don't want to walk into uh you know your stand or your hunting location opening morning climb up in your stand and have a catastrophic failure that's going to put you out um, either for the season or you know injure yourself to where you either can't hunt again or you get yourself killed so double check that stuff make sure your safety equipment is up to par and ready to go still hear of too many you know news articles or reports of people having hunting accidents that can be very preventable in regards to you know just simple safety and you know just taking a few extra moments to make sure that uh, your safety equipment is up to par and that you're safe you know climbing in and out of your tree stand or while you're in the stand these are very preventable you know incidents that you know they they happen too often we'll just say that so with the with the public service announcement of safety out of the way you know the next thing is really is making sure that you have your tree stands ready to go so again this comes down to if you do a little bit of scouting and you realize that maybe your sand is in the right area but not the right spot now's the time to get that moved um, and secured that way it's ready to go and you're not causing too much disturbance you know getting ready for you know as we get closer to the season you know i myself have still you know i've talked about this before as well where uh my hunting blind for my rifle from a rifle blind it's in a really good spot the problem is i put it too close to where the deer are moving so i kind of had the idea that i was going to have this both a rifle and archery blind the problem is is that you know for archery season you know being right on the food source, you know in most instances where this blind is at is actually too close to where the deer are bedding on the edge of the food store so i actually have walked out to the blind and had literally the tree right behind it had a rub on it so these deer are you know coming right up onto the blind actually a few years ago uh while hunting opening morning i or it was opening evening I had a a fawn basically gnawing or eating the leaves off of a willow that I used as cover for the blind itself. So it was literally right below me um, eating onto the vegetation that was in my blind. So this year I'm going to move it off to one corner of my food plot. Basically give me a still a good vantage point of the food plot itself but gets me away from that cover a little bit because part of the issue with being right on top of everything is that um uh, you know as you come into the stand if there's any deer bedded within that close vicinity they're gonna hear you they're gonna smell you more than likely and then the other thing is too is that by the repeat going in there leaving ground scent you know it just disturbs it disturbs that location just a little too much um to where i want to be pulled away a little bit allow those deer to be able to get into the food plant and feel secure and right. feel as though they're you know kind of alone there and don't have this blind right on top of them um, you know, certainly I ran into where, you know, some of those old does, you know, they know when those windows are open or closed on that blind. Um, so by pulling away a little bit, moving outside of their comfort zone or out of their little bubble where they will maybe feel a little more secure with that blind being there. Um, hopefully it entices more deer movement, um, especially from that direction where the, where the blind was originally set. So something as simple as that where, you know, you had it in a good spot, but it may not been the right spot. So again, that goes along with the learning of a property and be able to um, come up with a better game plan, um, you know, the following year. So, but that's pretty much it. I mean, a lot of it is kind of, you know, wash, rinse, repeat in regards to um, practicing with your bow, getting your equipment ready, um, scouting, you know making sure everything planned out you know ahead of time is ready to go you know food plot wise if you know basically from from july to all the way up until the end of august is really when most of the people are planting along the midwest Um, so now you know if you're doing any habitat work in that regard you know you're looking at the rain forecast getting that seed in the ground that we have a good food source for the winter Um, and for i guess for hunting season as well into the winter time as well and yeah, I mean certainly too is basically that time frame where you're just focusing on those that detail work, um dialing the last few details really, and you know, just so you're ready to go for when the season starts. Again, it's gonna be here before we know it. So um we're already we looking at uh you know, my oldest daughter, she wants to go out and try hunting this year. You know she got a taste for canned venison and absolutely love it and I told her that if she wants to have a whole lot more of it then she needs to go out and help me you know harvest some deer and she was all in favor of it so um, we're gonna be practicing a little bit uh, getting her accustomed to doing some shooting so we're gonna start out basically with the air rifle move up from there to a 22 move up from there and then we'll just kind of see where her comfort level is so it's still undecided yet on if she's gonna be you know hunting with a firearm or if we're gonna take the crossbow out and try with the crossbow. Um, again, pros and cons to both of those. You know, the rifle's got a little bit more uh, distance where it can go out and reach and touch something. Uh, the the crossbow is probably gonna be a little more comfortable for her, uh, a little less intimidating. So we'll see how it goes in, that, in those preparations as well. Um, to see uh, how she'll do uh, when it comes to her uh, time behind the trigger so that's it for this episode really Um, you know again it's a lot of just the same um, things that you should be you know kind of nailing down every year of getting those preparations done as a quick update as well you know I do have some final details coming out on the the um, my website which I'm gonna have a store as well so you'll be able to purchase these hats as well as some logo uh, t-shirts long sleeve shirts uh, hats stickers hoodies um, and a few extra products and then also there is going to also be a members area as well so this will be for anyone that wants to uh kind of lend their support to the to the show and get some additional benefits out of that as well so if you go into the website which i still have probably about another week or two to finish up the last few details before that's released I'll make a full announcement when that when it does become available and the store is open as well um, but for that membership program you it'll be five dollars a month and you get um, you know basically a special discount on all the the products available uh, on the website with the own member store you will receive uh, a customary uh, t-shirt uh, for becoming a member as well as you will be you'll have access to a once a month live stream that I will, I will be doing. Again, working out a few of those last minute details to get that set up. Um, but that will be um, preview for you as well. So we'll do a once a month show. I'll gather up a few friends. We'll sit around and talk about hunting or any of the topics at hand. So I'm hoping to have that live stream um, portion available for October. Um, so right when we get started with the, deer, with the archery season, will be able to kick that off once a month do updates tell hunting stories you know whatever and again with this live stream as well you'll be at you'll have access to uh, a live chat so you can join in on the conversation as well and then also as a member you'll be given exclusive um you know basically uh, access to special giveaways for members only as well if you like the show you know like the show subscribe to the show share the show with your friends and uh and yeah i think that's a wrap so as always get out there be safe and have fun